0: Hi, I'm Xian Xiao, a healthcare researcher.
1: And I'm Sammy Winemaker, a palliative care doctor. If you or someone you know is facing a serious illness, you've probably spent many hours in waiting rooms, scared and not sure what to expect. We can help.
0: Together, we've heard from thousands of patients and families dealing with serious illness. Our goal is to share what we've learned so you can be more prepared and in control This is The Waiting Room Revolution, and it starts right now. Hi, everyone. Exciting news. We are starting a podcast club, which is like a book club. And starting in May, we'll focus on an episode each week and answer questions from listeners directly. So go to our website to find out more and sign up. WaitingRoomRevolution.com All right. So in this final episode of Season 1, we wanted to focus on this point. While each episode focused on a particular key, they are meant to be used all together, sort of woven together. I like how you said, let's weave
1: it together because I think that's exactly what we need to reinforce here. This, These are not stages, um, like moving through uh, episode one, pause, then episode two, pause, episode three, by the time you've learned the seven keys, they need to be meshed together and incorporated into all the fibers of how you walk your journey. They're not discrete stages or chapters. These are skills that need to be woven together, like you said. We had to present them as discrete episodes because we really wanted to highlight each and every key separately, but now's the time to pull it all together. If we can pull it all together and incorporate it into each person's journey, then I really feel very confident that we'll be able to shift this needle. We'll be able to help people move from what is destined to be an in-the-dark journey to an in-the-know journey. By the end of all of these episodes,
0: all of us are now woke. I like to think of this whole season as baking. So each episode we talked about a different ingredient really, like eggs or milk and flour. Um, Each of these ingredients were the keys we discussed. But depending on how you incorporate all those ingredients together, you can come up with different possibilities of things to bake, like cake or pie or bread. The different variations of baked goods is sort of like the many different journeys you can have, even though you're using the exact same ingredients.
1: I love that analogy of the cake. It's now time to eat the cake.
0: Or it's now time to bake the cake. I don't know. Which it's time it is. to
1: b- bake the cake, then eat the cake, and then breathe the cake.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Onto the and healthcare system. And, and then share it. Yeah, share it with others for sure. That you're saying, woke to the fact that patients and families have the power to change their experience. I think that's the key. I mean, especially with COVID all around us, we feel like powerless because it's, you know, we can only control so much. But in this case, with a serious illness, knowledge is power. Preparation is power. CN, what is
1: the one thing you wanted to emphasize to the listeners in this final episode?
0: I wanted to highlight that the most important key was our first one which was walk two roads. It's the most important because just acknowledging that this other road exists is the opening you need to think about preparing ahead and starting on a better illness experience, which will lead you to be more hopeful and prepared. And yet the most common question we received was the idea that what should I do if the patient or family really did not want to know about the other road? And I know we've said it before, we aren't forcing information onto people. We are welcoming them and inviting them to the conversation, inviting them to be aware that this information exists. So is it possible that the family and patient really want to be in the dark and only hope for the best? Yes, that's possible. But from my experience, this is very uncommon. Instead, what we find is that what people say and do is not necessarily how they think and feel. And oftentimes, they are actually just very scared about the idea of death and dying. And it is their fear that is causing them to avoid talking about the future. And so we need to talk more about the emotions and fears and their understanding about what is happening before we can even start to offer information to them. So it's like my five-year-old daughter. Her emotions are driving her behavior. And as she's throwing a tantrum, I really need to understand why rather than just telling her that she needs to stop. And another way to say that is, walking through roads does not mean we are planning for death. But instead, we are preparing for likely what-if scenarios in the journey ahead. So what about you, Sammy? What is the one thing you wanted to make sure people remember about this season?
1: Cien, the one thing I wanted to emphasize is that the main silver lining when you're facing a serious illness is that if you prepare early enough, you're often given the gift of time. I didn't realize how important this was until my family went through a terrible experience with my dad last year. My father began to have symptoms in February of 2020 um, and was diagnosed in March with a very aggressive brain tumor. When he was diagnosed, I knew with this particular type of brain tumor that he would likely have a life expectancy of somewhere between 18 months and two years. And so I knew right away that I was going to be that one for my family. None of my family uh, members are in healthcare, um, except my dad was a doctor, but um, no one else is in healthcare. So I knew that I was going to just, true to myself, step forward and be the person who would help them be uh, in the know, uh, woke, uh, have no regrets, um, make up for lost time, uh, love each other uh walk two roads hope for the best plan for the worst zoom out zoom in um you know um uh celebrate our different styles and customize our order we were i was going to do it all with my family My dad started having radiation treatment shortly after his diagnosis in March, and uh, it was super duper uber radiation treatment. And being 80 years old, um, I guess in hindsight, it was too much for his system to handle. And shortly after his radiation, he began to decline. And, you know, at first, you know, the decline we saw was, you know... Maybe in keeping with the fatigue that normally happens after someone has major brain radiation, but at, you know it became more and more profound, uh, more than what I was usually you know accustomed to. To make a, I don't want to say a long story short because it wasn't a long story, but to cut to the chase, uh, my dad was admitted to the hospital uh, a couple of weeks after his radiation treatment. And he was in the hospital uh, during COVID for about two weeks. And during that period of time, we had very little interaction with him. Um, It was at the beginning of COVID when we weren't as savvy with connecting patients with their families when they were in the hospital. And so, I mean, that was so unsettling, Um, but I reassured my family that, you know, once we got him home, hopefully he'll get better and, um, you know, we'll pick up where we left off. Um, My dad came home on a Friday uh, with a um, patient transport uh, ambulance type vehicle and uh, he came out of the ambulance and my sister called me right away. I wasn't there when he got home and she said to me, you are going to be shocked when you see dad. And so I braced myself when I got there on the next morning, Saturday morning, and I went up to his room and I took one look at him and I knew. I knew he was dying. And this was just two months after his diagnosis. I've been around it so much that I can pick up on it very quickly. And so here I was. I had told my family that we probably had between 18 and 24 months with my dad when I knew we probably had days with my dad.
0: Wow, Sammy. I'm so sorry. I know how close you are to your dad. What did you do next?
1: So... I I scrambled. Uh I um tried to move through all the keys, all the skills that I knew we would need to get through this as a family. And you know what? My family thought I was crazy. They thought, "What are you talking about?" They were shocked. "What do you what you're giving up on dad? Why are you being like this? Don't talk like this. This is wrong." He's going to get better and stronger. Uh, You said he was going to get better and stronger. But things had taken a a change for the worst. And that wasn't going to happen. And so at the 11th hour, I tried to pull in every key. I tried to guide my family. And they looked at me like I had two heads. Except for my sister. My sister and I stayed 24-7 with my dad. Uh, in the next room. And we talked and talked and talked and talked. And she thanked me, uh, for being so open and honest and frank with her, even though this was the hardest stuff for her to hear. But the rest of my family couldn't hear it. And so we had two camps form. We had the death squad that was considered me and my sister. And then we had the, um, cheerleading squad, the rest of my family, who would sneak water into my dad's mouth and, um, you know, sneak exercising his legs and his arms, and they would leave the room, and then I would sneak in medication that would make him feel comfortable. And it was really nuts when I think about it. He died four days later. And so it's taken some time to untangle, digest, metabolize (laughs) what happened with my dad. The reason why I share this story is because I realize how precious time is. My family had no time to understand what I was talking about um, in a matter of days. My dad's illness took a turn so quickly that... um, We just didn't have time. And that's not something I can change. Um, And there's nothing really I would change about my story with my dad and my family. But what I want to stress and highlight to everyone who's listening here is yet again, this opportunity of being woke as early as you can in an illness journey So that you can start this work, practice these skills, peppering them into your vibe as a patient and family as early as you can in the illness journey so that you're not scrambling in the final days like me uh, at a very advanced stage of the illness, um, trying to practice all of these things all
0: at once. Well, thanks for sharing that personal story, Sammy. And I really heard how if you had more time to bring the family around, the whole experience would have been different. I think that's the point of our revolution, to not wait until the 11th hour when time has run out, but instead, whenever it's possible, we want to go upstream earlier in the disease trajectory so you can be proactive. Okay, now I'd like to bring in our guest today, Stephanie. Stephanie is a friend of Sammy's who has listened to the podcast episodes and is going to talk about her experience. So thanks for joining us today.
2: Well, thank you very much. It's nice to be with you.
0: So Stephanie, can you tell us a little bit more about how you got introduced to the podcast and a little bit of background about your mom?
2: Timing of Sammy sending me the link was just so uncanny. And on that Saturday, it was so uncanny because the day before my mom had phoned me and said that her ovarian cancer and her lungs had returned. So 10 years ago, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. So then moving forward, she was great for nine years, nothing, nothing, nothing. Then last year in um, February, she had surgery and thought it was normal lung cancer. Afterwards, she was told that the pathology results said it was ovarian cancer in her lungs that it had um, metastasized. So here we are. And she tomorrow has her second round of chemo. And I had recommended that she listen to your podcasts, And she did that very first day, she listened to the first one. And it was interesting because what your philosophies are is exactly what Mine is that as a family member, we really should know what's going on, and we should be enlightened to the realities of the situation. And I had wanted to be with the first phone call of my mom's on the phone with her. And um, she had indicated to one of our family members that She wanted chemo and then under no circumstances did she want my sister and I talking her out of it. And that was never intent of neither my sister nor I. We certainly want her to do what's right for her. But I spoke with her and I said, no, it's not about that. It's about being able to make informed decisions and having all as many answers as we possibly can. And, um, That was prior to the first doctor's appointment. And so we both vocalized, yeah. And I said, even if you don't want to know anything, mom, that's okay. But for me, just being me, I need to know this stuff because I've got to kind of gear up to what's ahead for us, whether it be a short term or a long term, just so we can have some kind of idea.
1: Stephanie, I remember when you listened to the podcast and you called me right after and you said, I. Binge listen to all of them. You said, Oh, this is so timely. I'm ready. I have an appointment uh on the phone with my mom with her oncologist next week. And I, I'm I feel completely ready. And it was like you were energized almost um with like, you know, <laughs> that you were almost in a way excited to have like an approach or something.
2: I was and when I left my mom's house after that first appointment. I was armed, I was so well prepared. I had bought a notebook, I had written my questions out with spaces for answers, all of the different scenarios, and it was in my mind rehearsed. Well, I'm telling you, I didn't get any of the answers I wanted. I tried asking three times the same question, like, what is, does the future look like? What are the pros? What are the cons? Um, What's a good scenario, a bad scenario? And the answers were dodged every single time. I was very, very, very frustrated. And Sammy can attest to that. And it upset me. And even before we hung up the phone with the doctor, the doctor said, okay, that's it. Is there anything else? And I was so pleased because my mom said, I'm okay, but Stephanie, do you have any more questions for the doctor? And once again, I tried for their, now the fourth time asking questions and no concrete answers. For example, when I said, what is the best case scenario if she goes through with chemo? Well, that the tumors shrink. Okay. What's the worst case scenario? Well, it doesn't work. So then we try a different concoction of chemo, or then we try a trial drug or we try radiation or we try. And I said, well, okay, what basically, if I can ask is like life expectancy is my mom wants to live 10 years, are we talking two months? Or are we talking years? And she said, oh, years. I said, well, okay, is that like two years or 10 years or 20 years? Like, and And none of this was provided.
0: Yeah, and we often hear doctors shy away from questions trying to predict how much time is left because that seems so specific rather than more the planning questions that connect you to your goals and preferences.
2: I think it would have been nice to have had that. I also would have liked answers like okay if we don't go down the chemo route what are the scenarios like because I'm i at the end of this and my mom and I talked about it yesterday at the end of her three rounds or six rounds whatever it is we want her to be able to walk we we want her to be able to function as a human being and yesterday even talking she said you know here I had my blood work and I had this and I have I'm all prepared for my next round she said I am really hoping I only need three and she said she mentioned it to the doctor so I think in her thought process she's like okay when she sees the results of the cat scan after her third round of chemo that boom, this miracle's going to happen and the tumors are going to be gone. They're not large, but that, oh, they're going to be gone and she's only going to need three treatments. The doctor's answer to her is, well, we'll need to wait and see. So I know my mom's in a situation of wanting the cancer to go away so her life can be extended and as good as possible for as long as possible, but at the same time, Obviously, the thoughts are starting to enter into her brain as to, wow, I am not feeling as well as I would like to be feeling. So, our conversation yesterday included things like, as I said earlier, you want at the end of this, you want to be able to walk. You want to be able to play cards with your friends five days a week. You want to be able to travel. You want to be able to garden. And Those things are really, really, really important for her. So I hope that she is still going to be able to. And so there's that fine line. But obviously, these thoughts are going through her head when she's expressing, I really hope I only need three rounds of chemo.
0: Stephanie, now that a few weeks have passed and she has started her chemotherapy and had a few more sessions, how have things progressed?
2: I don't know if. My mom's listened to more of your podcasts or if she processed my conversations with her about your whole philosophy and your waiting room revolution. I didn't ask her that, but yesterday when she was driving home from her appointment, when we were talking, it was like a light bulb went on and she even used the expressions such as I want to be informed, and I do know that there are lots of people out there who don't. But you are really right, Stephanie. Patients and their families deserve the right to know. And if they don't want to know, if the patient, him or herself, doesn't want to know, then the family at least deserves to. And I thought, wow, like, Mom, I'm so glad you are saying these things because... That's really what it should be. And then she was telling me how she will make sure that they reach out, or she and her family doctor uh, reach out to the thoracic surgeon uh, to follow up with that. So she has her plan in her mind as to advocating for herself. And she always has. And it was nice that we yesterday spoke all about this whole situation
1: you know what Stephanie it sounds like as much as it was um, a challenge to bring the skills to the teleconference with the doctor and you felt afterwards that you didn't get far um, maybe uh, you got further with your own family Uh, your mom
2: definitely I think that she has really processed what she did listen to. And I don't, as I said, I don't know how many of your episodes she's listened to. I know for a fact she listened to the first one and she said, yes, I think these are going to be something I want to listen to. So perhaps on her own time, she's continued to. I'm hoping that otherwise it was just my delivery of your messages that she has obviously taken to heart And is willing to embrace and do whatever she possibly can to make sure that we are informed as to all of the options that she is going to have.
1: Would you do things differently? Having had a couple of weeks now, um, being able to digest the podcast series a little bit more, and you've had some experience now, is there anything you would do differently at that teleconference?
2: No, honestly, I don't think so. I truly felt prepared to get the big picture and also to see all of the trees in the forest. So I wanted to have knowledge from all angles and be informed from every which way possible. I don't think I would have changed that approach. I thought I was armed with Good questions to ask of the doctor, so i don't I don't know how I could change that because um I truly took to heart your messages and tried to get results.
1: Was it worth it to try?
2: Oh gosh, yes, yes, definitely. And the next week, there was supposed to be another follow up appointment with the doctor. She happened to be ill, so it was somebody else and it was just a very quick two-minute phone call um, outlining that, yes, indeed, they were going to go with um, chemo rather than radiation. So it was determined by my mom and I. There was no real need. It was just telling her the time for the appointment and you've got to get blood work and these things. But again, lack of information to my mom Uh, letting her know that a family member could have been at the appointment yesterday would have been really appreciated. Maybe our takeaway from that is prior to her next appointment, we call and we say, all right, what are the protocols? Who can come? What needs to happen? And it falls back on one of your suggestions. Advocate for yourself, advocate for your family, and don't rely on somebody in the system to jump out and say, Oh, wow, you're special here. We're going to give you these answers.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And I want to link this back to our whole point of this episode, which is combining different keys together. So your comment really connects to several of them, including tag your it, anticipate ripple effects, and invite yourself, and maybe even customize your order too. I would say your mom is really lucky to have you as her advocate, as her daughter, as her partner in this, asking these questions on her behalf and advocating for her. You know, because the more you're able to talk about this, even if you have different viewpoints, it's really about what's important to her and the best care for her and the best outcomes. And that conversation is going to help as you continue on this journey of information. What should we do next? And what are the decisions you're going to have to face? All these conversations will inform that.
1: One piece of advice, what we don't want to do is set people up to feel empowered and energized and activated and end up not getting what they need from, you know, trying their best to get more information with the skills that we've um, talked about or the mindsets in the episodes um, that would be really disappointing, but we know that it it will happen like it happened to you, stephanie. Um, if it is true that the doctor that you were um speaking with is just severely uncomfortable with that conversation, I wonder if the next technique might be for you to put that on the table and label it for what it is and say to the doctor, this must be very uncomfortable for you to talk about. In fact, um, I've asked you now four times for information. And um, with all due respect, you seem to be skirting the issue. I think you might be more uncomfortable about this than we are. We actually want the information. I um, am inviting you to feel comfortable enough to answer the questions that I'm asking. You won't make us hopeless. This will make us feel better. Like literally label it. That's not something we talked about in every podcast because there's so much more we can talk about in terms of if you run into trouble or if you need another angle. There's more ways we can go at this. But do you think that might be
2: helpful? I think it's a good idea because the next, well... I guess my mom has one more doctor's appointment prior to the appointment where she'll find the results from her CAT scan. So there are two sets of opportunities. The first one being um, to plant the seed in the doctor's mind as to our inviting her to provide more answers to us, and then when the hardcore results are concrete in front of her, then um, she'll be better equipped with her scientific knowledge to tell us what's going on. So I like that idea very much.
1: It's just so interesting that we have to maneuver ourselves as patients and families in ways that we can get the information like here we are plotting <laughs> to get the information that is yours to have it's it's quite ironic really in a way
0: if i can also add don't give up sometimes you just have to plant the seed and water it and wait for it to grow right by signaling to your healthcare providers that you want information honest open information They will hopefully rethink how to answer some of your questions for the next visit. And even their whole approach with you and your mom might change. And so as things progress, often options are less and less and pathways of how to move forward become more clear. And so there's also that, right? Right now, at the very beginning, there are almost too many paths to talk about anything in a comprehensible way. But you are signaling what you want to do, how you want to move forward, and that's going to help in later steps. So, don't feel discouraged.
1: Stephanie, I want to thank you so much for coming on our podcast. I know that this is really hard for you um, going through this with your mom.
2: Thank you, both of you, for sharing your wisdom and the avenue that you've chosen with your podcast. I think it's a really great one to get your message out to the public to practitioners, to everybody because your message is invaluable and uh, basically like bang on because it matters.
0: Thank you, Stephanie. Appreciate it. When I think about the story with your dad and Stephanie's experience, I can really see how what we're trying to do is arm patients and families with the skills to get information early enough to prepare.
1: These skills are to be phased in to your illness experience. Sprinkle them in over time. Don't charge in unless you have to. So don't be surprised that you're going to be met with lots and lots of different reactions. The reactions are going to depend on those other people's styles, um, how woke or not they are to the reality of the situation, what their previous experiences have been, um, how urgent things seem. All of these things will affect people's reactions, but don't give up. Stephanie's not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. None of us should give up. I also should mention that Stephanie ended up meeting one particular specialist, but not all specialists are the same not all doctors are the same. Not all nurses are the same. They're as different as patients and families. I know lots and lots of doctors and nurses who are just waiting for an invitation to speak
0: openly to their patients and families. I can't help but think about the next time Stephanie and her mother interact with their doctor. Stephanie has planted the seeds so that the next time their doctor is aware that they are the kind of people who like and want more information. It's a process. It takes practice. It takes bravery and courage. And people will develop their own language and their own way that feels comfortable to them. So the way that Stephanie and her mom ask their questions may be different than someone else. And that's part of the journey. This is going to take some time.
1: But as far as I can see it, this is the only way forward so that we can shift from an in-the-dark experience to an in-the-know experience. It's going to take time for the healthcare system to adapt.
0: Okay, Sammy, so let's recap. First, the keys are not steps that go in order. They are like ingredients that you need to mix together when you're baking, and they can be used at different times and in different combinations. Second, the most important key is to walk two roads. And sometimes the first step is to explore one's fears about the future before you can start to prepare for it.
1: Also, it's so important to start using these keys early in your journey. Time is the most precious gift, and you can use that to your advantage, even when facing a serious illness. Finally, don't give up. You'll meet resistance, surely. But keep consistent and proactive and keep inviting yourself to the conversation. You will get more answers. And when you do, you will be on the path to being more prepared and more hopeful.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Season 1 of The Waiting Room Revolution. Stay tuned for our new spring series where we have quick 20-minute interviews with innovators for patients and caregivers. That's starting next week. Our theme music is Maypole by Ketza. The podcast is edited and produced by me, Sien Xiao, and Kayla McMillan. Special thanks to Krista Honstra, Principal of Clarity Hub. For more information, visit us at WaitingroomRevolution.com.